Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. We are in this series called The Prodigals, and you didn't know this, but we're going to give you a pop quiz. And just like you don't think it's fair, I never thought it was fair when my teacher gave me a pop quiz. So I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Good news is open book test, okay? Luke 15. All right, so recap Luke 15, pop quiz. It's about a father and how many sons? Oh, y'all are on. Oh, y'all are good. All right, I like this. One stayed home and one left. Yes, he ran away. One was younger and one was? Oh, my goodness. Lake County, I don't know what's going on out there, but Apopka is gifted. That's all I know. You guys are gifted. And we talked about this, uh, this Pastor John uh, kind of recapped it in a, a really good way. He shared this idea of Kiseza. And what we talked about at Kiseza a couple weeks ago is there was a, a shaming ceremony. And, and what would happen is when, when there would be a, a son that inherited something, and then they would go away and they would blow it on Gentile wild living. And what we talked about is there would be a, a shaming ceremony if they ever tried to come back, that we would take some pots and then we would just... It's going to do it. I love you. You're, you're brave. What they would do is they would throw it down in a, in a shaming process. And Pastor John talked about that is, that's one of the many reasons why the father said from a long way off. He went and met the son, so he wouldn't experience the shame. And so we see that, and there's this story of these two sons. If you've not been with us, and one of them goes out wild living with his inheritance before the father even passed away, and he comes to the end of his rope like so many of us have, that he decides to make a U-turn like so many of us have. And he contemplates this idea of returning home, and is he going to experience the shame, what's going to happen? And and he comes home, and the father sees him from a long way off, and he ends up deciding to throw him a block party, like a party like no other. And that's where we pick up today. In Luke 15, verse 25, it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he, has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. A couple weeks ago, I shared a little bit about the younger brother who ran away. And I shared about how I have a brother that when he was growing up, he liked to run away. He did his best Forrest Gump impersonation. He just would run. And, and, and I need to clarify, even though he kind of was like the younger brother where he ran away, he wasn't this horrible kid uh, like the younger son. And so I just want to make sure Christmas this year isn't awkward. And so to that brother, hey, you're not the younger wild son. You just like to run away. But I was more like the older brother. 
I don't know how many of y'all, if you were to survey you, if you were the younger brother, older brother, I was more like the older brother. And, and, and the fact that when I say that, I was more like the older brother where I thought if maybe I can earn God's love through good behavior. And whenever we think that theology, it always, it always results in self-righteousness because it's me-based, not God's grace-based. And I remember thinking that if I could just be good enough, I could earn God's grace. And so I didn't have a rebellious outward appearance. I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't a runaway. I didn't waste my money on this or that. I was more rebellious inward. And it's just as bad. And I don't know if you're rebellious outward or if you have a background or current reality of being rebellious inward. We're going to look at the older son and how he was rebellious inwardly. Kind of the, the idea as I was processing this is this. Doing the right thing with the wrong motives will lead to a disconnected heart. Doing the right thing with the wrong motives, it, it disconnects you from the heart of the father. You see, the older sibling, he was doing all the right things, but not with the right heart. And so he had a disconnected heart to the point where he says, I've been slaving for you. I got to imagine when he first started doing it, it was gladly serving and now it's slaving. You see, something happened to the older brother's heart. And this is what we need to be cautious of. It is very easy for us to become the younger brother, and if not guarded, become the older brother. It is easy for us to go from lost to found to hardened heart to entitled. And that's where we're going to go today. John Piper, pastor, theologian, and quoting Jesus in Matthew 23, he, he shares some, some thoughts. I'll, I'll share Matthew 23. He says this. It's a, this is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, Pharisees, within you. Within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, to call them lawless would be almost crazy because that's all they did is focus on keeping the law. Like that's what they had down pat is keeping the law. And Jesus comes and says, you are lawless. And this is what John Piper says in, in his commentary. I love this. He says, ponder what it must mean to call a Pharisee lawless. There is a lawless way to keep the law. There is a disobedient way to obey Jesus. And there is a faithless faith. That describes the older brother to a T. A couple weeks ago, I was reading Romans chapter 12, and I thought, man, if the older brother could have read Romans 12, well, you and I are older brothers or potential older brothers, and we can read Romans 12. I want you to listen to Romans 12 in light of the older brother filter. It says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Rejoice with those who rejoice. There were times in my life I thought it was hard to mourn with those who mourn but I think it's actually harder sometimes to rejoice with those who rejoice, especially if you have a prideful or jealous spirit. I, I don't know how many of y'all have any older siblings. How many of you have an older brother or sister? Maybe this isn't universal, but for me, uh, I have two older brothers. It doesn't matter. And they, they, they beat the living tar out of me consistently growing up. Like, like we didn't have this, this beautiful, let's hold hands and skip down the road. Like that was, we were typical boys that just would beat the tar out of each other. We didn't beat the tar out of each other. I actually never beat them up. They just beat me up. I wanted to beat them up. I was unable to. So 
I say all that to say we loved hanging out with each other. We did so much together, and I don't care what they ever did to me or how, how far away from God, there was always a piece of me, always, that looked up to them. As, an old, as a younger sibling, I always looked up to my older siblings, even now to this day, on some level, some form. And I gotta imagine this younger brother still had that. I look up to my older brother, and the one person that I'm sure he was hoping outside the father would extend grace was his older brother. And that's probably where he received the most shame. One person he would want outside the father to be at, to be at the party would be an older brother, and he couldn't do it, or I should say he chose not to do it. The older brother refused to party. And we're going to talk about partying today. And some of us, when I say party, your mind goes to like something. Okay. I don't know what it goes to, but we're going to talk about partying today. I can't imagine not wanting to go to a party. I love parties. Like I love, I don't care what kind of party it is. It could be a wedding. It could be a graduation party. It could be a retirement party. It could be the Braves just won the national championship world series party, which they just did last year. Come on, Braves. Yeah, we need to, we need to do a sermon on that. Okay, we'll, we'll get back. I love partying. Have you ever refused to party? Think about that. Like I can't, I can't remember a time where I've refused to go to a party. Maybe it looked like this. Maybe one of your coworkers got a promotion that you didn't think they deserved. And to celebrate, everybody in the office took them out to lunch. And instead of you going, you stayed behind. And you refused to rejoice with those who rejoiced. I don't know where you've refused to party, but I remember when I was in high school, there was a party, probably what the kind of party you were thinking of earlier. There was a high school party. Parents were out of town. And there were three characters. Uh, these are not their real names. Three characters in this party. We'll say Kelly and Will were dating each other. Okay, Kelly used to date Mark. All three of them are at the party. The party is at Kelly's house. The relationship between Mark and Kelly ended a long time ago, and it wasn't, there was nothing bad. There was no cheating. It was just fine. However, it clearly became that Mark had some issues with them dating. And we are at this party. There's a lot of people there, and, and Mark just becomes a party pooper. I'm talking everybody's having a good time. He takes out his, his pocket knife, and he goes to the dining room table, and he writes, he carves, Mark was here. That's just stupid on a couple things. One, why would you destroy somebody's dining room table? Two, put Will was here. Why would you put your own name? Like, I had to slap him and then coach him. Like, hey, next time, let's think through this. So, of course, Kelly sees that 10 minutes later and just freaks out because she knows her parents are going to, like, destroy her. And so immediately, Kelly just, you know, the music stops. Just party is over. It just buzzkill completely. And everybody left. And I, and I remember thinking, man, what a party pooper. What a party pooper. That's, in essence, the older brother. He's a party pooper. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about three ways to move from being a party pooper to a party planner. Are y'all with me? If some of you are tempted right now to email me because I've said the phrase on stage party pooper, you might be a party pooper. Okay? <laughs> Don't email me. 
We're going to talk about how do you go from refusing to go to a party to celebrate somebody's life change to how do you become somebody that actually starts the party. And that's where we're going to go. We want to become a party planning church, not a party pooping church. So three ways to move to being a party planner. First one is this. Make repentance more than a one-time event. Hashtag tenderhearted. Make repentance more than a one-time event. You see, when the younger son came home, there was so much repentance. But if that was the last time he repented, I promise you, he would have turned into the older brother. Repentance is not a one-time event. It is a consistent event. Let me illustrate it like this. This is what happens when you and I sin. If this is God right here, when you and I sin, we take a step away from God. And when we sin again, we take a step away from God. And the more we take steps away from God, the harder our heart becomes. And the more, when we repent, when we repent, listen to what happens. We don't take a step back to God. That's not what happens when we repent. When we repent, we come all the way back right here, right standing with God. It's not one step back. It's not we got to repent 10 times to make up for it. For no, we repent and we're right back in communion with God. And the more that we get away from God and the more we come over here, our heart becomes hard. And the more that we come right here with God, our heart is softened. And what is in the middle of that is repentance. Repentance softens your heart and pride makes it hard. Proverbs 4, 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. I remember I was surfing with some Friends in St. Augustine, do we have any surfers in the crowd? Anybody? Absolutely nobody. <laughs> nobody. Hey, listen, if you're watching online, maybe you live somewhere else, maybe close to the beach, I don't know, outside of Florida, and you like to surf, would you move to Central Florida? I need some surfing buddies, because nobody here uh, in Apopka likes to surf. So I was surfing in St. Augustine, and it was about four of us, and we were surfing, me and my buddies, and uh, the waves were really good, but the current was really strong. And so we're out surfing and we're doing our thing and three of us tend to accidentally stay together and one of us uh, kind of does his own thing because when you're surfing, you're coming in and out and, and three of us are together and then all of a sudden, before we knew it, this person was out of shouting range and the current was moving so fast that the three of us together, what we would do is we would walk in every 45 minutes to an hour and then we'd walk back up the beach. But our buddy that was going solo didn't do that. And what I feared would happen almost became a, a really bad tragedy. You see, where we were surfing was just north of the St. Augustine Pier. And what happened is he was so focused on surfing that before he knew it, he got caught around the pier. And the waves are so relentless and so strong, and, and there's nothing you can do once you're stuck inside that pier. And the pier is held up by these pillars that will destroy you. And literally, we had to, we ended up watching that unfold. Lifeguards had to get brought in. Luckily, he ended up coming out without any major damage. He got some scratches and cuts, but no serious damage. Now, if I were to ask my buddy, what, what did you do to drift into the pier? You know what he would say? Nothing. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything immoral. He didn't actually do absolutely anything to get underneath the pier. When you surf, you don't have to do anything to drift into danger. 
And the same thing is true in life, in your relationship with God. You don't have to do anything to drift away from God. Literally, the only thing you have to do to drift away from God is to absolutely do nothing, and you will drift away from God. That is the way our current goes. So if you wake up tomorrow and you start here throughout the day and throughout the week, you're going to do this. If you do nothing, the current is taking you away from God. So you have to actually play offensive. You've got to be proactive, and you have to repent because we sin daily, we sin weekly. I, I, I'm blown away how many people can make it in this life without repenting. I'm blown away how many people can make it a day without getting right with God. All you have to do to drift is to just do nothing. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make, out to be, uh, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I'll say this, be careful you don't come close to the house of God, yet far from the heart of God. Don't be so close to the house of God. You're in the Bible, says you're enrooted, you're coming to church, but your heart is far from God. And that is easy to do the longer we've been doing church. Some of you have been doing it for decades. It is easy to drift spiritually, but not physically. And if we're not careful, that could happen, and we can end up looking more and more like the older brother than we think. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, the humble are in and the proud are out. The people who confess they aren't particularly good are moving toward God because a prerequisite for receiving the grace of God is to know that you need it. That good? Second thing we need to do for me to move from being a party pooper to being a party planner is this, keep expressing gratitude to the Father. Keep expressing gratitude to the Father, hashtag grateful. I don't know why I'm doing hashtags today. I just thought when I was writing my notes, I'm gonna do hashtags. So hashtag grateful. I remember when I was in St. Augustine, I went to school in St. Augustine. I went to uh, start off at Liberty University and transferred to Flagler College. And, and I played baseball, but I needed to get a job and I needed something with flexible hours, but still make uh, good money. And so I literally figured out what is the highest uh, amount of money I can make per hour and, it, and after doing some research, I found out is a horse and carriage tour guide. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to St. Augustine. There are these horses and carriages. And, and what you have to do in the job, the job is this. You got to be able to know how to ride a horse and you got to be able to give a tour of the city. My resume, don't have any experience with horses and I don't know anything about the city. That's my resume. I go and I apply for a job, and also the thing I'm bringing to the table is I'm like 20 years old and completely irresponsible, okay? So, so I come to the table, I'm like, hey, I just, I, I, I want a job, and they're like, oh yeah, we'd hire you. Seriously? <laughs> so I get a job, and I was so grateful, because what I would make in like four or five hours of working something else, I would make in literally one hour just doing this horse and carriage tour guide. And it was at night, I could, it was flexible, I could choose my hour. I, I was so grateful, I prayed for it, prayed for it, prayed for it, and then I got the job and I was grateful and I thanked God for it. And, and then as I caught on the job, I started to realize what the job entailed. You see, each person that worked actually had a horse that they were in charge of. I had a horse. Somebody gave me a horse. At 20 years old, like I had to feed it, 
I had to bathe it. I had to take it to, to Foot Locker and get its shoes changed every now and then. Like, like I was in charge of all of this. Somebody thought that was a good idea. So I do that and my heart quickly went from gratitude to like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I played baseball, so I was traveling a lot. Like I would constantly have to get somebody else to, to do my chores for the horse. And what I saw within a month is I, I went from grateful to entitled, just like that. What I used to pray to God for, I was now ungrateful for, just like that. And that happens in all of us for so many different things. What we were once praying for God for, we now feel entitled to. Maybe you were praying that God would give you a spouse and you just wanted a wife or a husband so bad and God gave it to you. God gave you the love of your life and that love went from I'm so grateful to now I'm entitled. And you can't think about the last time you were grateful to God or to your spouse. You see, if we don't express gratitude, it becomes entitlement. Unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude. Faded gratitude turns into entitlement. I want to show you this picture of a turtle. I don't know if y'all have heard the story of a turtle on a fence post. It's this story about a turtle on a fence post. If you ever see a turtle on, I, I, I really like this, the point of this story, but listen, I don't know who puts turtles on fence posts, but that's just messed up, okay? So don't get any ideas. So there's a story about a turtle on a fence post, and the idea is this, the turtle didn't get there on its own, and the turtle is very aware that it didn't get there on its own because it couldn't get there on its own, and the heart of this story is to understand that where you are today is a turtle on a fence post. You did not get to where you are on your own. And what the world wants to say is, yes, you did. You pushed yourself. You did this. It was grit. It was this. It was that. And some of those do help. But really, God's the one that put us where we're at. And the moment that we forget that God's the one that put the turtle on the fence post, that he put me in my marriage, he put me to be able to be blessed, to be the father of three kids, he's the one that allowed me to be able to serve. The moment I forget that, the moment I'm entitled and that's never a good place. Entitlement makes your heart hard. Listen to what the father said in, in Luke. He said, everything I have is yours. That's what the father told the older son. Everything I have is yours. Like literally, you didn't get there on your own. Everything I have, I've already given to you. You are the turtle on the fence post, and the older son completely forgot that. Completely forgot what the father had done for him. Psalm 106, one says this, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his love endures forever. When was the last time you thanked God? I mean, thanked him specifically. When was the last time you repented? And when I say repented, I mean to the point of tears. When was the, think about that. When was the last time you repented to the point of tears? And if you can't remember, I'm just gonna caution you. If you can't remember the last time that you've repented to the point of tears, you are in more danger of becoming the older son than you realize. And when you don't repent, it makes it hard to have a grateful heart. 
because you don't need to thank the Father for anything because you think you've done it all. Those that have repent and are aware of their sin are also the ones at the feet of Jesus thanking the Father. They go hand in hand and it softens the heart. The third way to move from being a party pooper to a party planner is this, to grab a towel and not a whistle. To grab a towel and not a whistle. Hashtag servant leadership. When I think of a towel, I think in, in some ways, it's like a universal sign of servanthood. You know those fancy restaurants? They got a towel over their arm, right? Yeah, we don't have servers in the room, but we got a lot of fancy restaurant people in the room. Yeah, <laughs> I see how it is, okay. You got these, these fancy restaurants with a towel over them. What, it, it's showing, hey, I'm here to serve you. As a matter of fact, there's one church, Passion City Church by Louis Giglio. They don't call their volunteers volunteers. They call them towel wearers. They wear towels. That's why they're towel carriers. They're, they want to be reminded that they're there to serve. And so in order to throw a party and to be a party player, we want to grow towels, not whistles. A towel is this idea to have a heart to serve. And a whistle reminds me of my PE coach growing up. Now listen. I'm nervous of sharing this story because my elementary PE coach is in the room. <laughs> I've wanted to do this for a long time. <laughs> Sit down, Miss Gibbs. It's not so fun, is it? Yeah. Stop talking, Coach Gibbs. Coach Gibbs right there. Will you, will you stand, raise your hand, Coach? Come on, Coach. This is my elementary PE coach. Come on. Drop and give me 20. I'm so nervous to share the story right now. No, she's, she's a good coach. I went to Lockhart Elementary for several years, and she was a PE coach there. And this story is not about her, because it's not a good story, coach. Sorry. When I, when I think of a whistle, I think of uh, a different PE coach. And, and the PE coach loved, like I think was in love with his whistle. And whatever the opposite of in love is, is what he was with me. Okay, so we're, it didn't work out. So this is what I would hear every day at class. Stop running, Agard. Agard, stop the, licking the sidewalk. Agar, go to class. Like all the time, I just hear a whistle and then you just bark orders. That's all, I mean, every single day. Now I'm not saying he wasn't right. And I'm not anti-whistle. I used to coach and I, but when I think of a whistle, all I think about are barking orders. And when I think about barking orders, I think about Pharisees that were so busy blowing the whistle on other people instead of extending a hand to serve other people. And this is what we are called to be. We are called to be servants, not these people that go around barking orders at everybody. Some of us have been coming to church for years. That's not how you dress at church. Why, why are they talking like that? That's not the language we use. Hey, did you know Sally missed two Sundays in a row? I think sometimes we laugh because it hurts. <laughs> I can't tell how many people have told me they think that Sunday morning is the most judgmental morning of the week. Not because of the lost people, because of the room full of older brothers 
and sisters with whistles, ready to bark orders at people. And it's far from the heart of Jesus. I think it breaks the heart of Jesus. And my encouragement is that we'd put down the whistles and we'd pick up the towels and we would serve one another in love. Galatians 5.13, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly and love. You get the choice every Sunday morning to pick up a tower whistle. Every Tuesday morning, every Friday night, you get the choice. And what this is saying is, even in your choice, don't choose to obey the flesh, but use it to serve others in love. This past week, we just got to celebrate the end of March Madness. If you don't know anything about March Madness, it's a college basketball tournament where they take the top 64 teams in the nation and they put them together and they play this tournament called March Madness. And the very first round, I need to preface it, Pastor John, I love you. I really, listen, he's not gonna believe this. I came up with this story and then after because I, I heard a, a clip and, and I'll get, but after I realized where the story goes, it takes, it's just hard. Okay, so Pastor John. So there's this team called St. Peter's and the coach for St. Peter's is Coach Holloway. Okay, and this is an un, uh, a Cinderella story in March Madness. They, they were complete underdogs. They weren't supposed to even be in it, much less make it past the first round. And who do they face? And the first round is the number two ranked Kentucky Wildcats. This is where I'm sorry, Pastor John. <laughs> Pastor John's like, this is the last time you're ever preaching, ever. <laughs> and this team that shouldn't even been in there defeats the number two Kentucky team. As if that wasn't good enough, it goes on in the next round to beat the number seven seed. As if that wasn't good enough, it advances and beats the number three team, Purdue, to make it to the Elite Eight. And this small town, this small school ends up getting all this notoriety in the coach. And it came out with this incredible quote. And I want you to listen to the heart of the coach. It says this. He says, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. I always wanted a coach because a lot of people took a chance on me when it was so easy to go the other way. I wanted to be the guy to take a chance on some kids that people don't want or kind of push away and got into trouble and they need a second chance. That's the kind of coach I want to be. Isn't that good? You see, what coach understood is that rescued people rescue people. That's what he understood. And listen, when you are a younger brother, you get that for a month or two. And at some point, there is temptation to stop being a rescued person that rescue others. And the temptation is to get rid of the towel and to pick up a whistle. Because when rescued people come in, they don't look shiny and polished. They don't talk your language. They don't look. They, don't, they haven't memorized the Bible. They don't, they don't know everything. And what the older brothers are doing is they're chaperones in the back with their arms folded. Stop running. And I can't remember the last time I wanted to be around a cold, bossy chaperone with arms crossed. But a church that's loving and welcoming, a church full of rescued people that want to rescue people, that's church I want to be a part of. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, serving is a gauge. When you put on a towel, serving's a gauge to see where you're at. Because the younger brother, listen to this, he says this, the younger brother won't serve because he's too self-centered. And the older brother won't serve because he's too self-righteous. So serving is a good gauge to figure out where you're at.
I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. We talk about serving a lot. And some of you think we talk about serving a lot is because we have a lot of needs in the church that need to be filled. And that's just not true. You see, we talk about serving a lot, not because of what we need, but because of what you need. Listen, if somebody came to me right now, all the ministry leaders came to me right now and said, hey, listen, stop pushing serving. All of our volunteer roles are full. I'm still gonna push serving because serving's not for us, it's for you. Serving is always for you, not for us. That's why we push serving. I'll create more jobs if we need to. That's what we, it is not for us, it is for you. So next week, we're gonna have some people that are gonna come in. They're gonna be rescued people or they're gonna be people looking to be rescued. And they're gonna act lost, they're gonna smell lost, they're gonna talk lost. And they're gonna come in here and they're gonna sense a church that's either gonna shun them or embrace them. They're either gonna sense a church that's gonna be more like the father or more like the older brother. And you get to determine what kind of church we are. And I love that about Journey because I already know the answer what your kind of church you're gonna be. I wanna tell you a story about James. James was a student of mine, 17 years old. James was as broken and as lost as they come. And he had tried every solution the world has to offer and I convinced him to come to camp and I would pay for camp and got him a scholarship to camp. He came to camp. And at first, James was so hard, his heart was so hard to God the first couple days. And then the third day, God just broke through and he ended up giving his life to Jesus. And on the fifth day, we pack up to leave for camp. And James, a new believer with a scarred past, but a bright future. And he says, hey, before we leave, because we normally would hold hands and pray, he says, do you mind if I say the closing prayer? I said, James, I would love it. And so we as a student ministry, we all hold hands together and we circle up and we pray. And he closes his eyes and, and, and or bows his uh, head and closes his eyes. And he says, dear Heavenly Father, and he begins to weep. You could tell he's so overwhelmed with the new grace he's been found. And as he prays, he prays the most honest, beautiful prayer. And he says, thank you so much. I don't deserve your blankety blank blank. Blank, blank, God, you're so good. What's that, James? And I did what everybody else in the circle did. I looked up, and every student is looking at me. Every student, except James. James was still in the towel phase. He hadn't reached the whistle phase yet. And at that moment, it was a defining moment for our student ministry. Were we okay with an unpolished new believer being in our midst? Or did you have to have it all together before you could hang out with us? Next week, we're gonna have unpolished, broken people that don't have it all together. And we either get to say, hey, join the club, or we get to say, hey, you need to polish up before you come back. We don't use that language. We don't dress like that. We don't talk like that. Hey, you're in my seat. That happens. You know it. Don't. <laughs> That's funny. Acts 15, 19. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for those turning to God. Let's create a church where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible. 
This is a statement that I want to almost have as a declarative statement. It's this. We are and always will be party planners throwing parties for people who aren't good enough but desire to worship a God that is. We are and always will be party planners throwing parties for people who aren't good enough but desire to worship a God that is. I want you, Lake County, online, everybody in Apocalypse, let's say that together. One, two, three. We are and always will be party planners throwing parties for people who aren't good enough but desire to worship a God that is. This is who we are. This is good news. There's a crowd that likes this and there's a crowd that doesn't like it. Honestly. The crowd that doesn't like it are the older brothers in the room. They don't like this. You know who loves this? The younger brothers. The younger brothers love it. The truth is we're all younger brothers. The older brothers just forgot that. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a party. This is a little confetti popper. You're going to get one of these on the way out. Because I, from this point forward, I deputize you to be a party planner. And next time somebody thinks that a Christian's a party pooper, you come in and you say, no, 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 I'm planning a party. I'm not here to blow a whistle. I'm not here to bring rules. I'm not here to bring shame. I'm here to bring grace, kindness, love, joy, peace. And you just go around and throw, pop a party on somebody and just run away. See what happens. You just say, hey, Jesus loves you. Pull it and then run. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you that you are the master party planner. Oh man, the amount of confetti we're going to have in heaven because you just can't wait. You get so excited when we return home. It's just block party after block party after block party. And God, you desire a church that follows your lead and planning and preparing parties for lost and broken sons and daughters. And so God, would you help us to, to put down our whistles to put down our orders, to put down our tradition. Would you help us to pick up towels? Would you help us to pick up confetti poppers? And would we go around to a community this week, today, next month, would you help us to plan parties for people coming home? Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.